want to thank you for joining us at Cowboy Junction Church today. As you hear this message, we pray that your faith will grow and you'll be both encouraged and challenged. If you enjoy what's happening at Cowboy Junction, it would really help us out if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share this online. You can also help us reach others by partnering with us financially. You can easily give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift at cowboyjunctionchurch.com slash give. We hope you enjoy this message today. We've been in a series here at Cowboy Junction called Honor. Today is the last and final message in a series that I have absolutely thoroughly loved to speak. We haven't been talking about honoring people, though it, that is something that comes out of the type of honor we've been talking about. We've been talking about how to honor God. What does it look like to give God our very best? We've talked about giving God our very best love, like a father. He asks the question, am I not a good father? Am I not a good father? And would you not honor your father for treating you good? And would you not treat your, honor your master for treating you good? But I am your God. I'm your true father, the father. Do I not deserve your honor? We looked at our words. We looked at words in the form of how do we speak about God. And we also looked in the form of being more positive than being faith-filled. Your words do matter when it comes to honoring God. We've looked at God in the form of what does it look like to give God our very best. But today we're going to wrap this up. We're going to go to Malachi chapter 4. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. That's right. It's not the only last book of of Malachi. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. And it's a short book, but it's worth reading. And today I'd like to kick this off. And I would like to go to one of my favorite portions of Scripture, Malachi chapter 4, and it says this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, pay very close attention, they will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, real quick. This is, can be a really confusing portion of Scripture. And the re, and a lot of people, when they read their Bible, and say you wake up and you say, I'm going to read my Bible from all the way through. I'm just going to say, I read my Bible from start to finish. If you read over Malachi chapter 4 and you just read it for reading's sake, you don't look at the message behind it. And there's a lot of depth in this. The depth is this pro- prophetic word that God reminds us of always. That one day, I don't know if you know this, a lot of people do, the earth will be burned up. When God raptures the church, when Satan is thrown into the pit forever, God literally turns to the earth and just destroys it. And it's a wonderful thing. Don't get scared. Because we're all going to be in heaven. <coughs> God's intention is to then recreate what was the perfection that we were supposed to know as God's perfect earth, the, the perfect plan. God's perfect earth, and he is going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be, have permission to go back down, and we're going to experience everything it was supposed to be like. And so when God says, behold, the day is coming, it's going to be burning like an oven, <clears throat> and the proud, <coughs> the people that you see that are so arrogant and so full of themselves and so full of their ways and not my ways, they will become stubble. This is another word for kindling. They'll be the one that actually starts the whole fire. And that day which is coming shall burn them up. Thanks. You're awesome. 
the Lord has, that will leave them neither root nor branch. And so this is a warning at the beginning, but then it changes. From the warning, you see verse 2 take place. And one of my favorite words found in the Bible, but. You know why but is one of my favorite stories or words in the Bible? Because it's a shift. It goes from a warning to let me tell you now what I'm excited about. And God says this, to you who fear me, who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Some of you have a head start on that. <laughs> Your blessing is around the corner. God's healing is around the corner. The pain you might experience right now, seriously, the pain you might experience right now, you may be throwing your sucker in the dirt saying, it doesn't pay to serve God. Where is God when things are hard? Where are God when things are difficult? Stop. We've got to go back to faith because one day faith will remind us that there is healing on the way, that everything you see that is evil and wrong about this world will be stubble and burned up, and God's healing is in his wings. And you, you shall grow fat like stall-fed cattle, not a cow out there trying to make it in Lee County grass. You're going to be in, like in God's barn. You're going to be in God's barn, and you will not remember the hard years, but you'll rejoice in it was worth it years. Does it make sense? And he goes on. Verse 3, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 4, remember the laws of Moses. And then this, this big warning, this moment where God says, okay, pay attention. Remember everything that I said in the establishment. Remember the very laws that I gave to Moses. They don't save you, but they do direct your life in a good way. They don't give you life, but they do direct your life. They're like barriers on a highway. They're not there for you to hit they're there for you to know the direction. The words of the law do not give you life. It's Jesus who gives you life, but it's the law that points you to Jesus. My servant, which I commanded him on Horeb for, for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. And these words, statutes and judgments, are very important words, and we'll get to them in a minute. But now let's go to verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah here is a prophetic word telling us about John the Baptist. That Elijah, as he preached with boldness about God's way, one day Elijah the prophet, through, through a prophetic word showing us that John the Baptist was going to come. Prepare your hearts, people, for the coming Messiah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, all that was built up because now you can say you could be completely through Malachi, but it's this last part I really want you to pay attention to. This is the part of the message where I want to stop and let you know that verse six is the content of today because it's the prophetic word of what God will do in his people. If we humble ourselves and we seek him with all of our hearts, if we chase after him, if we keep his statutes, if we, if we recognize his judgments, and we see that he, it says he, not we, it says he will do a very incredible thing. He will turn our hearts. 
the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Why is this such a big deal for today? Because in today's day and age, a lot of our fathers, father figures, father people, older generation, don't have much of a love for the younger generation. If they think like us and act like us and behave like us and vote like us, well, then we like them. But if they're anything different than us, I don't have much patience, kindness, or love for them, period. And let me just jump in and say that I'm not preaching this to you. This is something that I've had to wrestle in my own spirit. And because I've I've studied Malachi so much, I can't get away from this prophetic word. And it reminds me, and this is how it reminds me, Tybean, don't you dare lose your patience with what God is doing in people. Especially if it's children who you don't feel like loving right now. People in our community who you think, who in the heck raised these kids? And just before you turn your heart away from them, remember, it's the prophetic word that we see that he, our Father in heaven, will turn the hearts of the fathers. And I want to be a father. I'm going to get to that here in a minute. But it has to be turned towards the children. And how do we know we're in the heart of the father? Because he turns our hearts to the children. But then an interesting thing happens. He'll now turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Today I'm going to preach a message I think it's a really weird title. It's entitled, Things I'd Like to Say to Everyone Who Has Voted in Their Very First Election. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we love you. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. And Jesus, I pray today that we would be drawn closer to you. Show us. Show us how to want your best, to seek you with all of our heart. But show us, Lord, how do we handle the world we live in? We need your direction. We need your purpose. Show us your way. Anoint me, Lord, as I speak your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 1980, I took part in my very first election. That's right, 1980. And just before you think, well, Ty, you're 58 years old. No, no. I didn't exactly vote in it. I took part in it because in 1980, I was seven years old, and Ms. Asbell was my second grade teacher. And back then, it was kind of a community thing to just kind of have a school vote. I don't even know if they do that in schools anymore because it seems so scary. But back then, that's what we used to do. In 1980, let me tell you who my two choices were. Do these guys look familiar? Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. This was the presidential election. It's a little bit different than today's presidential election. Both guys were actually really good candidates. Yeah. Seriously, who'd have thought? And, then, and let me tell you why I thought they were really good cabinets. Jimmy Carter was actually got in kind of a, kind of a sneak in, to tell you the truth, as president of the United States. But this was one of the most humble guys who tried more than any president I'd ever seen in my life. Jimmy Carter, if he didn't have anything else, he had try. He was kind of like that guy who went to your school who nobody really thought he was cool, okay? But he just tried every day to do stuff for the community and for the school and for everyone. And he got out there and he hustled and he worked, but no one ever gave him credit at all. Ronald Reagan, though, was super popular. He was on the movie screens and everybody thought that was so cool that a movie actor became a politician and he was smart. He was eloquent, too. Nobody could speak better than Ronald Reagan. 
But then the election took place. Now, you had a Democrat and a Republican, so nothing had really changed there in what we know as an election. But something very interesting took place. In fact, for everybody in the room that you would say, isn't it sad that a foreign country got involved in an election? Isn't that horrible that we were manipulated like we were? Gosh, people are awful. Seem to have a short-term memory on this election because the Iran-Contra affair was taking place. Now, I was only seven years old, but I remember this to a T. And for me, I like Jimmy Carter. I voted for him in our school election because I like the fact that he was a Christian. He led a Bible study back home. He still leads his Bible study in his home church to this day. But I voted for Jimmy Carter, but I paid close attention because everybody I knew was voting for Ronald Reagan. I thought Ronald Reagan was cool. Heck, we can't lose in this election. But something came up. Students from a university stormed the embassy, the U.S. embassy, and took all kinds of American hostages. It was really a tense time in America. I remember watching the black and white TV and the three-channel TV, you know, and seeing these people in blindfolds, handcuffed or tied up, being led downstairs. And you could recognize that they were Americans and they were taking those awkward steps downstairs. I remember no one was helping them. But they were just kind of taking those awkward steps as they put their foot out there. And they were thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away from home. And I had to ask my mom, what is a hostage? What is a hostage? I remember going with mom and Dusty. Dusty was little bitty and I was seven years old. And we would go house to house and we would tie yellow ribbons around trees. Y'all remember back in the 80s tying yellow ribbons around trees, praying that the hostages would come back home? At school, we would ask every day, did they release the hostages today? Did they release the hostages today? And then we started the presidential election. And the man by the name of Ayatollah Khomeini, and that's a name from the past. You remember that name? Ayatollah Khomeini, who was heading up this whole hostage situation, would give speeches. And I remember he would sit down, and the microphone would be in front of him. It was completely weird to me. It was so strange. But he began to say, we will not release these hostages as long as Carter is president. That's why I bring up the issue of, if you ever thought a foreign country never manipulated an election before, you gotta go back to 1980. Even as a kid, I thought, this feels manipulative. This feels like this foreign dictator is telling us who to vote for. But none of us argued because we loved Reagan. We, we loved Reagan. Everybody loved Reagan. And we liked Carter, and, but we loved Reagan. So, so it's a win-win deal. We get the hostages back, and we all get to vote for Reagan. And guess what happened? Reagan won. But Reagan just didn't win. Reagan won by a landslide. And to rub salt in Carter's womb, he negotiated and negotiated for these hostages to, to be released. And Ayatollah Khomeini waited until they actually swore in Ronald Reagan to release the hostages. I remember when they got on the plane, we all held our breath because they could do something stupid as the plane takes off, and we all wondered if they could get out of the, out of the territory. And when their plane wheels hit our soil, everyone took a breath of fresh air. Ronald Reagan was now president. Jimmy Carter lost the election. And the world felt better. This was my very first election. And I kind of laugh at some people's response to the last couple elections 
and how it turned out and what happened. And it's funny how sometimes history repeats itself, but we've all got such short-term memories, we can't remember anything. But this election feels weird. This election feels more toxic. It's more hate-fueled. And we just got through reading Malachi chapter 4, and we learned about God says he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if there's one thing I recognize about this election, is there are a lot of young people we don't really like. There's a lot of people, young people we do like. We love them. But man, there is a hate-fueled, like I've never felt an election before. But what if? What if we begin to ask some questions? Questions about how in the world do we get to these kind of places? How do we get to these places to where we're so angry and so mad? Some of us are ready to go to war right now. Some of us are ready to shoot somebody. Some of us are ready for someone just to put one foot on our property. I'll make sure that foot never hits anybody's property again. Let me tell you how it works for me. This isn't you, but you have to ask the question, how did we get here? In fact, how did Ty get here? And I can tell you this. Where, did I, I, where was I taught to hate? And I can honestly tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I don't know your story, but my story, I was taught to hate in church. I grew up in church. I was raised in church. And I remember when the culture began to shift. And I remember when we started the us and them. And I remember when we began to look at sin. And we began to look at issues and problems we always started looking at, at races, and, and all of a sudden, I began to hear in the voice of my pastors this hate speech, and it turned into an abomination message. I can't tell you how many times I heard that word growing up. It's an abomination. It's a disgust to God. And they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong at all. But what was wrong about it? Where was God turning hearts towards these people? In fact, I just got through reading Psalms this, this month. And a couple of the Psalms really jump out. Some of them are wonderful. They talk about the incredibleness of God, the beauty of God, the wonderfulness of God. But there are some of them that say, God, I will hate what you hate. I will be disgusted by what you're disgusted with. Father, your enemies are my enemies. And as I listen to them, I think maybe I'm supposed to hate God. But then I'm reminded of New Testament scriptures. New Testament scriptures that say, hey, you've got to remember that the fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and darkness. How do people become stupid is basically the scripture is saying. Because somebody evil, something evil has manipulated their life to the point they can't see God's goodness anymore. And they can't turn into your enemies in fact, there's a really cool statement that I've been thinking over and over and over in my, or in my head. Every time I get angry, every time I see something on Instagram, every time I get fueled, I say to myself, Ty, remember who the enemy is. Remember who the enemy is. Remember who the enemy is. And it's not people. It's the dark manipulation that they have gone through in their life to convince them of something different than God's best. Recently, I did something I've never done before in my pastoring. I, t I opened up to the whole church. If you ever want to have lunch with me, call the church, schedule 12 o'clock, bring your lunch, I'll bring my lunch, 
and we'll sit down and talk. I really thought nobody wanted to spend time with me. And a ton of people did. And I've had a blast. I've got to know more about people. It's been the most amazing thing, getting to hear stories. Recently, there was this one little mother who, I see her show up with her kids and she leaves. And she shows up with her kids and she leaves. And she came in and she brought her lunch and I had my lunch. And we sat down there and talked together. And I know somebody could have pulled up and said, mmm, my pastor's eating lunch with a single mama. Oh, and I could care less. I'm like, mmm, Heather knows all about it. She's in the house. And you better go talk to her. And here I am having lunch in the, in the little lobby area, and she's telling me about her kids. I've learned everything about their kids, everything they're doing. I've learned her, her, her struggle. She just jumped right there, and she goes, well, I'm going to be busy next week. I've got surgery. And I go, whoa, you're having surgery? It's amazing how we don't know what people are going through because we don't stop and have time for 30 minutes with them. I, we walked her right over to, to uh, Beverly's office. We got her on a feeding program. How can we bring food to her? On a, does she have a ride to the hospital? How are you planning on getting there? Who's watching your kids? I didn't know. I had to ask. But the fact is, is sometimes we have people in our lives, but we know nothing about them. This last couple of months, I was able to sit down with a young man who I value his friendship so much, who happens to be a young black man. And I said, you need to talk to me. And he goes, what did I do? I said, no, you need to coach me. You need to coach me on what it's like being black in Lee County, New Mexico. And it took him off guard. He's like, okay, you're going to have to give me 15 minutes. I said, I'll give you as long as you want. Take 24. We'll go have lunch tomorrow. And we've had the best conversations. Where were we taught how to hate? And where did we start identifying who the enemy is? Because people were born good. Someone screwed them up. Someone screwed us up too. Heck, I was going to church and learned how to hate people. In your first election, for everybody here voting for their first election, I want you to start asking yourself, how did you get here? Second thing I want to start asking yourself is, I want you to honor truth. If we're really going to be God followers, you have to understand this. Because the fact is, in the world we live today, everybody's got truth. There's his truth, her truth, their truth, everybody's truth. But what I'm asking you to do in your first election is to not do anything but lean into God's truth. And there are some things that are very valuable to God. Number one, you have to recognize that God's word tells us life is precious. Do not ever, ever think that life is something that should just be thrown aside, disposed of but you should fight for life because God himself tells us it is precious, it is a gift from me, and you should fight. The next thing he says to fight for, you should fight for the innocent and the orphaned and the widowed, and that is a whole broad spectrum of people. It could be people of all ages, different sex, but justice is you recognizing where someone needs you to stand up for them. It'll surprise you maybe. It'll surprise you that you begin to take a stance in areas that you thought you never would take a stance before because you see how some people are being taken advantage of. Honor truth. Honor God's truth. Next one, I want you to know that in your first election, you should know that hate and justice should never go hand in hand. 
hate and justice, which means even doing the right thing does not need hate to back it up. It means you can be in the right and you can know God's plan and you can know God's purpose, but it doesn't give you a reason to be a jerk. Do you stand up for yourself? Absolutely. Do you talk in an educated, knowing God's plans way? Absolutely. In fact, let me just jump out and say that some of you should fact check yourself before you post some stuff. Hate and justice should never go hand in hand. Let me ask you some questions. When did hating someone ever help the situation? Have I ever been angry? You bet. Have I ever gone to somebody and let them have it and I was absolutely right and then have to come back 24 hours after Holy Spirit said, go back and apologize. But I was right. And God said, you did exactly what I told you to do. You said exactly what I told you to do, but you didn't look like me at all. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go apologize for my arrogance, my truthful, honest arrogance. Do you know you can have friends and not share the same values? I know that's a shocker. Because in the church I grew up in, we didn't have friends that shared any other belief than our belief. And here's the problem with it. You ready? How are we ever going to show people Jesus if we keep hanging around Christians all the time? So for all the people voting their first election, I want to turn to you and say, whoa, 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 before you go be everybody's friend, would you first know what God's truth is? There are things that he would say, that's not me. And he would say, that's not me. And he would say, I have nothing to do with that, but I know that person. Where it really set in for me is when I had my 10-year class reunion. And I had Heather by my side. We were going to go to the Elks Lodge in Artesia. And it's funny, when you graduate high school, everybody knows everybody. Everybody acts like everybody. Heck, we all look the same. Mullets, hair, letter jackets, pants rolled up and folded up. All these things looked the same. And then 10 years is added to our life. And that's when people start looking differently. Go to your 20-year class reunion. It was at my 20-year class reunion that I knew there were some people who didn't think the same way I did. But are you ready for this? We had history. I grew up with her. And I grew up with him. And I grew up with them. And God had put in my heart that as your 20-year class reunion, you should have a 20-year class reunion church service, the Bulldog Church Service. And Cooper Henderson opened up the gym. And we had the, the church service in the gym on Sunday morning. But Saturday night, we had our party. And it was a great one. I danced all night long. Am I right? And every other dance, I danced with Heather. But Heather would point out, why don't you go dance with her? I'm like, okay, babe, I'm going to go dance with her. And I danced with my stepsister. I got a stepsister named Sugar. Did y'all know that? She's really cool. Yeah, that's the craziest name. When, yeah, Sugar. Yeah, but Dad was thinking about adopting her, and her name was going to be Sugar Bean. I, I, you can't make this up, guys. You can't make I'm serious. And so Sugar was there. And so, I mean, and Sugar was cute. You know what's a great thing about having a, a really cute stepsister? 
it's LR cute friends. And, okay, I'm getting off track here, okay? And, and I, 20 year class reunion, I was dancing with Sugar and, 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 and I was dancing with Rachel. I was dancing with all these people. And some of my friends weren't dancing with boys. Can we all fill the blank in there? Okay? Okay. And Heather said, why don't you go dance with them? And I said, would you mind? And she said, I don't expect you to do anything different. And I went and grabbed my friends, and we danced all over the, the floor, and we went back to being kids again. And the next morning at church service, this is Bulldog Church Service, our 20-year class reunion. They all showed up. And you know why they showed up? They weren't planning on showing up. They didn't want to show up. They, they were all hung over. We had to have the church service at 12 so that everybody could just sleep in, Okay. <laughs> Don't laugh. That's how your class reunion was too, but you didn't have church service. <laughs> and there was three people that were going to give their testimony at the church service. And then all these people that no one thought would show up showed up. And you know why they showed up? Because the day, the night before, it meant so much to them. The pastor, Ty, would go dance with them and not care about the differences that we had, but to remember the friendship that we had. I can't tell you how many people in 20 years, 25 years now of, of graduating with this class have called me in hard times, have considered Cowboy Junction their church, and they've never stepped foot on the place, but have watched every online campus. And they don't think like us. They don't believe like us. They don't vote like us, but they love me. Let me just say something real quick. There are people in this world who are struggling with issues. And if you're in this place and you would go, Christians don't like people like us. At Cowboy Junction, we have a statement. At this place, we're going to follow Jesus. And if you want to come follow Jesus with us, no matter where you're at, what your beliefs are, what your thoughts are, what's going through in your mind, we're going to protect you we're going to love you, we're going to stand by you, and we're going to allow Jesus to keep talking to all of us, me about stuff and you about stuff. But in this place, you will have a safe place to have a place to come listen to whatever it is God wants to talk to you about. You will not be mocked here, you will not be made fun of, you will not be made felt bad, but you will be loved. Because someone gave me a chance to turn around and it changed my life. They didn't point out my flaws. They allowed Holy Spirit to coach on me. And then I asked questions because I trust them. In your voting, you need to know the difference between morals and ethics. Morals. Morals are your non-negotiables. This is what I believe and this is what I stand for. But your ethics, your ethics are different. Your ethics are your moral behaviors. They're your community involvement. They're your serving. They're your vote, voting. And a lot of times we think we're morally obligated to vote, and you're not. You're not morally obligated to vote. You're ethically obligated to vote. And you can vote to your morals, but you have to understand that this is an ethical thing. So how do we change as people? Let me just talk to everybody in the room that you're just being manipulated, talked to about a million different ways to vote. Here's how we can change, okay? And one of the ways, we fear God. 
We fear God above anything else. And in Malachi chapter 4, it says that from fearing God, you're going to see healing take place. You're going to see growth take place. And you're going to see your enemies disappear. You have to understand what it means to be either an American Christian or a Christian American. And God didn't call you to be an American Christian. God called you to be a Christian American. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified. All of me has died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Another thing I want you to take into consideration, I want you to remember God's ways. I want you to remember that God's ways speak about his statutes. And what is a statute? Because remember in Malachi chapter 4, it says his statutes and his judgments. A statute is a large decree made, by, made sovereign by God, uh, uh, made sovereign or by God. It's this thing of God established how he wants his kingdom to operate, okay? It's his statutes. But then he has his judgments, and this is a very important thing. It's something everybody needs to realize. A judgment from God is the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. It's just basically common sense if you know God's ways. His judgments have been clearly seen that he rewarded people. He honored nations. He He honored people because we did it God's way. But then the flip side of the second definition of his judgments, it's, it's, it's the misfortune that came because of calamity, as a punishment, because we went one direction, and God stayed where he was at. There is something we can learn even from other people's mistakes. Let me wrap this up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. I just want you to get that real quick. You get it? He who loves his brother. Yes, yes, we're talking about a brother in Christ. But do you realize that we're also talking about a God who in Malachi says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the, to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers? And God says, he who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hate blinds us. It really does. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. I think one of the greatest lessons I learned as a pastor, but most importantly as a believer, I can't change anybody. Seriously, come on now. There's a lot of pastors that their absolute joy in life is to tell you how to live. They will correct you. They will tell you what to do. And some people want that. Some people want their Christian life to be cruise control. But can I be honest with you? If you do something because your pastor is telling you to do that, you're, doing, you're having your faith in your pastor. But if you're doing something because Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, this is my word, Follow it. You're having faith in God. That's why I can't tell you how to live. But we can begin to pay attention. That, yes, 
Love does cover a multitude of sin. If I can leave you with anything to think about, here's what I want you to participate in your first election, okay? Love well and honor truth. Seriously, that's simple. To love well, to love people in some of their worst conditions, to love people in something completely opposite of God's best for your life. But if you can love well and love them the way that God loved them, he sent his son to die for them so that they can begin to ask questions. What did he do that for? Then let me tell you why. Because God made a way for man and humanity to get back to him. And it's the greatest gift the world has ever known. It was true love, and you can be true love for somebody's life. I think you truly honor God when you desire to be a father to children. Not your kids, but to truly look at kids and go, someone needs to love them. And then we'll look back at verse 9, verse 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers. Hearts of the fathers. Hearts of the fathers. Can I say this real quick? <clears throat> to all the OG in the room. Now, if I don't know what that means, that means the old, the old gang. The old gangsters. God is wanting to touch your heart. To not walk in hate for a young group of people who doesn't look like anything like you grew up in. But he wants to raise up fathers. And if he can touch our hearts, and let me just tell you, I'm kind of right in the middle. But I've recently shifted over and go, okay, God, I am what I am. I'm 47, I'm fixed to be 48, moving in closer to 50. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not a son anymore. I'm a, I'm a son, but the only reason I'm a son is because you turned me into a father. Never before in my life have I had more of a father's heart for people. Since I've been going to CrossFit, Heather looks at me and she goes, you've got the strangest friends I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's true. I've got the weirdest group of people that I love hanging out with at 5 o'clock in the morning. They are rebels. They are wild. They are crazy. And, you know, and that's just Jensen. <laughs> and the fact is, is that I walk into that place. I have a stop sign. That every time I come to that stop sign, my prayer begins. And from that stop sign to pulling into the gym, I have already prayed over every person, and that happens at 447 every morning from stop sign to the gym. I have already covered them in prayer. They say stupid say, think stuff, awful things. They listen to awful music. All the things they say I can't say, all their music plays. It makes no sense whatsoever. You can't say that word. You can't say that word. Then why are you playing this song? It's funny. That's not funny. No, it's not. But God has given me a love. They have called me. They have asked me. They have asked me to read the word to them. I've given them Bibles. I have prayed for them. Right there in the gym. Said, okay, come on over. We're going to pray right now. And people who don't even believe in God come around and we pray. It's not just me. There's other guys too but I've decided I want to be a father. Because if I choose to be a father, God says he'll turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and there'll be a healing that takes place. Let me show you the very last word of the Old Testament. In fact, remember I told you a minute ago, Malachi chapter four is the very last chapter. And have you ever noticed what the very last word of the Old Testament is? 
curse. It says, and, and let, let, unless I come and strike the earth with a curse. Did you know that? That's the very last word of the Old Testament. But I'd like to do something really cool. What if I showed you the very last word of the New Testament? You ready? Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. He who testifies to these things, saying, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace, the grace, the grace. Did you hear it? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The amazing grace. Grace is, in spite of how we didn't deserve Jesus, God gave us grace and sent his love anyway. If you're in this room, you will grow to... If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you just don't know God's grace yet. And when you see God's amazing grace, which is his love for us when we didn't deserve it, it will make you fall in love with him immediately and trust him for the rest of your life. But in order for us to love the amazing grace of our Father, we've got to extend amazing grace as well. Love covers a multitude of sin. I want to pray. The, the worship team bailed on me. They had to all get home. It's just us tonight. And I thought we could do a couple things. First of all, can everybody stand to your feet? I would like to start by asking if everyone in this room, now I'm talking to everybody, not just the people voting for the very first time, what if we begin to pray? Father, how do you want me to vote? Now, I know when you, I said that, you go, okay, that's cool. I already know who to vote for. No, no, no. I said, how do you want me to vote? And a lot of people are really, they, they, you thought I was asking who are you voting for. And I, for most of you, I already know who you're voting for. for. For others of you, I don't have a clue who you're voting for. I'm asking you, how are you going to vote? Are you going to be voting and as you vote, you're believing the Lord Jesus Christ to heal this land, to start with me, Father. Are you believing in your heart that there are people that know if, if, if the vote goes one way or the other, do you realize there's going to be angry people? And how you vote in saying, God, I'm going to walk in peace and love, and no matter how this turns out, you are the God of America. How are you going to vote? And I thought we could pray about that real quick. But then I want to do something different. I want to begin to pray for our nation. And I want to begin to pray that God sees in this little community, in this little town, that there are people who we are Christian Americans who have to live somewhere. And by living here, we want to declare our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name, May you come establish your kingdom in this community the same way it's established in heaven. So let's pray for that. Father, we come to you. There's no music in the background. It's just a country church right now. And we genuinely, wholeheartedly turn to you and declare that you would show us how to vote. That you would show us through our heart, our emotions, our faith, 
would you show us how to vote? And as we vote, Lord, we pray that you would do a healing in this land. We pray, Father God, that hearts would be convicted, that evil, evil be rebuked in the name of Jesus as we cast our vote. We don't believe in a man. We are believing that you, Lord, have started something in us that we will be angry at the evil, but we will love the people. Father, today I pray that you would surround us with friends that don't think like us so that we can tell them about this amazing story of amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, a story they haven't even heard of in their entire life because they've only known Christians as churchgoers and they don't know what it really means to be a Christ follower. Jesus, if they met you, they'd follow you. That's what I'm convinced of. So Lord, I pray I start looking like you. And now Lord, we turn and we pray for our nation. We pray for President Trump right now because he is our president. And we pray that you would give him the wisdom to lead this nation. And Father, we also pray for our governor that you would give her the wisdom to lead this state. And Father, today we declare you the Lord over the state of New Mexico, and we declare you the Lord over the United States of America. And as for, as for me and my house and everyone here that agrees to this, we will serve the Lord. We love you. Strengthen us and guide us. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.